0: The following message from Bible teacher and pastor Jim Crabb is brought to you by Imago Day Christian Fellowship in Westchester, Ohio.
1: Amen and amen. We're shouting the walls down and we're in victory to everyone live streaming with us. You've become part of my church family, and uh, some of the people that are live streaming with uh, uh, since we've been live streaming, I've become their pastor. And they, they're they regular, faithful people that watch. And uh, some of them will even become tithers. And, and uh, that, that's happened. There's people all over the world to all of our missionaries that may have an opportunity to make today to be watching. We speak a blessing to you wherever you are. I don't care if you're in India or Africa, Pakistan, wherever you are. We speak a blessing to you today. In the name of the Lord. Amen. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, if he could, if he heard what technology does today, and man, can you imagine him getting loose with technology? He'd have been really something else. Amen. All right, let me get my stupid jokes out of the way. I'm, you know, I say this. When I go, before I tell a joke because I'm trying to soften the blow if it doesn't go over very good, but I'm not that telling jokes is it's just not one of my I I don't I'm not very good at it. There's people that are just you know people that remember jokes and they're really good at telling the jokes and anyway I have to put a disclaimer on my jokes. So anyway I just found this I thought it was funny. It's called I have a joke about. And um, the first one is, I have a joke about socialism. Everyone will get it. Get it? Okay. I have a joke about Calvinism, but only some of you will get it. You know, Calvinist believes in election and only... So, everybody's not going to get that, right? So, now I got to explain my jokes. All right? <laughs> I have a charismatic joke, but everyone started rolling around and laughing even before I got to the punchline. <laughs> Women pastors have a joke, but first you have to let them in the pulpit to hear it, right? I have a Pentecostal joke, but you'll need an interpreter to understand it. (laughs) Then the last one, I have a joke about modern worship songs. 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 Now if you don't get that, that's because one of the criticisms of modern worship is it's this over and ultra simplistic, the the musicians always tell me how simplistic modern worship is and they don't mean that in a complimentary way, Uh, it's just kind of oversimplified and and a lot of times it's just, you know, it says the same thing just over and over and over again. So that's why we have a joke about modern worship. Anyway, hallelujah. Now, let's, let's believe that the Bible part's going to go better than the joke time. <laughs> hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn, we, we started this last week in Luke chapter 10. Now it came to pass at least I was in the right chapter it wasn't, and at least I wasn't in the Old Testament. Now it came to pass as they went, that he entered into a certain village. You know Jesus is, I believe Jesus everywhere he goes, he goes there on purpose. This is my spiritual birthday week. And I, you know, we, we laugh about it and I have a happy time about it. The 28th of July is my spiritual birthday. And on that day, I was born again. And, and I believe that Jesus, since he found me, came looking for me. Huh? I didn't go looking for Jesus. You get that? You didn't go looking for Jesus. He came looking for you. Now, somebody said, yeah, but I was was really empty and really hungry. Yeah, but the reason you were is because he came looking for you. He came into your village. He He came into my realm. He came into my territory. Yesterday was the natural birthday of the the guy that led me to the Lord. His name was Mike Templin. And I saw that it was his birthday. Uh, I saw it on the Facebook thing. And so, and man, I just thought, I, I'm, somebody's asked, people ask me all the time, who do you think the greatest preacher is? I say, and I'll raise my hand and I'll say, well, the, these two unnamed guys at Ohio State that first brought me the gospel, and then two years later, this, the, the next great preacher, is his name is Mike Templin. Well, who's he? Well, he's the guy that brought me the gospel. Yeah. So whoever brought me the gospel to me is the greatest preacher yeah. because he was able to accomplish something in my heart. Yesterday was his birthday, and so I sent him a note on Facebook, and I just didn't put happy birthday in a cake. Ah. I I started thanking him for for 47 years ago that day that he brought me the gospel of the kingdom I'll never forget it I was in my mother's house yeah. on a hot, on a summer day July you know July in Cincinnati sticky muggy hot day and and I heard a knock at the door and there was Mike standing on the front door of my mother's house I saw him through the screen door you know and uh, when I opened because Mike was the guy that sold us all the drugs that we were doing. And so he'd been to Tennessee, up in Lake City, Tennessee, to get a bunch of drugs. And uh, well, he, and when I opened the door, he said, I found it. Come on. I didn't know the word hallelujah then. <laughs> but in my hippie way, uh, uh, what I meant was, that's really good. That's what you went for. And so apparently you found some really good stuff. And he said, no, I didn't find that. He said, I found the Lord and I got saved. And that's a whole long piece and story. But he became the guy that brought me the gospel. Did you know you, Jesus can use you to go into other people's realm and villages. Yes. You know, wherever you work, that's, you, that's, that's like part of your village. Right. And part of the purpose that you're there is not just to do your job. Right. It's to, because God wants to make a connection between you and those people that are there. Right. Because you can get into villages that I don't even know exist. Yeah. Somebody say Amen. You you have a world. You have a realm. Amen. And the Bible says here that he went into a certain village. So he went into a certain village. But look at this now. And there was a certain woman there. A specific woman there. Her name was Martha. And she received him into her house. And we've been talking that's what we preached on last week about when Jesus comes to your house. When Jesus comes to your village, he you got to get to your village before he can get in your house. But he gets in your village and then he and then he doesn't just want in your village, he wants to come into your house. Your house, we said, your house is like your life. Isn't that right? And it's it's our whole life. And when Jesus comes to our house, you know Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. you got to know that verse. It says, behold, or look, I, Jesus, I stand at the door, and I just don't stare at the door. What's he do? He knocks. He said, I stand at the door and I knock. What do you knock for? You knock because you want to be invited in. Amen. It, so he came looking for you. He came to your village. Now he's found your house. Right. Huh? Praise God. But he, 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 you got to let him in. Amen. And you know, even though that happened when I got saved, he... He, he stood at the door of my heart and he began to knock. And he knocked. You know, when I heard the gospel, he started knocking louder because the gospel amplified what he was already doing. And, and, and when those, that, that young man brought me the gospel, he, man, the knock got louder. But you know what I've learned? That's a Bible principle that's not just true before you get saved. That's a Bible principle. He's still knocking on the door of our hearts. He wants us to let Him in every single day of our life. He's knocking. He's knocking. How many know, has He ever dealt with you about your prayer life? Huh? How many could use a better prayer life? Hmm? Hmm? Huh? Everybody. And what's he doing? So, you know, he's knocking on our hearts about our prayer life, isn't he? And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get inside our hearts because he wants to do something with us because he's got a purpose for us and he's got a plan for us. Amen? Amen. Now, you know, I used the the story of the little booklet and uh, that s- somehow a couple days after I got saved and usually I remember details about everything, who was there and how long they were there and what they looked like and what they had on and what they said, but for some reason I don't have, I, can't, I just don't have it, I don't remember how this little booklet got in my hands, yeah. but it did. And after I preached about it the other day, I went home and I found it. Not, not the, the book, but it's... Uh, it's I, didn't, I don't even know if I knew this or remembered this. It's an essay that was written by a man named Robert Boyd Munger in 1951. He was a Presbyterian minister and he wrote the timeless work Entitled, and this was the little booklet that I found that I carried with me. It was called My Heart, Christ's Home. My Heart, Christ's Home. Amen. And so it's just a few pages long, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to do? I'm with this. The the reason this impacted my life is because I could understand it. I I'd been saved a day or two, and I understood. When when he said something, I understood what he said. That's the kind of stuff I still need. Do you? Huh? He writes, and we may not read all of it, but we'll read some of it. He writes in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. We find these words in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Put that up there that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man. In your inner man. Now how many know we are a spirit? We have a soul. We live in a body. This is not me. This right here is not me. This This is just the house that I live in. Right? To be here, that's why when your body dies, you've got to get out of here. But it's your inner man that Christ is interested in, right. your inner man, yeah. the, the inner you, yes. the real you, yes. the, the you, the spiritual man, Amen. your inner man that's going to live forever and forever and forever. That's the, the, your inner man that's made in the image and the likeness of God. huh? that you would be strengthened with might by the Spirit in your inner man and that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, there's a key word in there, in that verse right there, and it's the word dwell. That means when he knocked on the door of our hearts, the reason he knocked is because he wants in. But I want to tell you something this morning. Praise God and honor of my spiritual birthday. I want to tell you this. I want to tell everybody that's live streaming today. He wasn't stopping by to to visit. He came came to, to, to begin to dwell in that house that he was knocking on the door of your heart. That's the truth. One translation says, that Christ, I love this, that Christ may settle down and be at home in your hearts by faith. Lord, let it settle down, settle down. Come on in, come into my heart, come into my life, and settle down. In other words, put your bags down, and this, this is where you're gonna live now. Isn't that powerful? That Christ came into our hearts to live there, to to settle down and be at home in my heart. How many are glad that that the Bible teaches us clearly that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost? God, in in times gone by, the Lord, he, he, he said, you know why Moses built a tabernacle? He built a tabernacle because God said, I want to be closer to my people. And I want you to build a tabernacle where I can come and I can live among the people. Isn't that right? And and so Moses built the tabernacle. And God was, he, he made his abode there. He was in the Ark of the Covenant. He was above it. He was there. His presence was there. And he and at least He was He was among His people. And then, you know, then Solomon built the temple. And built the, the natural temple, the glorious temple that Solomon built. And God's dwelling was, was in there, was, was in that temple. I don't know if you know this, but uh, there was one period of time when King David, before, obviously before Solomon, but David built, David had a tent. A tent. In contrast to the glorious, beautiful temple it was a simple tent. Come on. And in that, at that tent, God's presence dwelt there. There's a lot of theology all the way through there why he was in different ways. But the point was, whether he was in the tabernacle of Moses, whether he was, whether he was at in the temple that Solomon built, amen, or whether he was in David's tent, here's, here's the fact, is that he he was on he was he was among them, but his goal wasn't just to be around them. It was the best that could happen at the time. But what he really wanted to do is do what Ephesians 3:16 said here. He wants to knock on the door of your heart. He wants you to open the door and He wants to come inside your heart and settle down and live there for the rest of your life. He wants to be uh, 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 someone that, that lives in your home. That is the will of God. And that's what happened when we got born again. Amen? This was God's dream. On the day of Pentecost, the day of the church was born, God, he, for the first time since Adam, God was not just around people. Now, when people believed on what Jesus had accomplished on the cross, now, for the first time, He moved inside people. That's why this thing still rocks me after 47 years I'm telling, what I talk about is the day I got saved. Well, that's the day Jesus moved in. Jesus moved in on the 28th day of July in 1973 in my heart, man. Because he he was knocking on the door of my heart and by God's grace, I was smart enough to open the door and let him in. Somebody say amen. Now, Uh in this in the essay, Mr. Uh, Mr. Munger, preacher Munger, he wrote, so here's how he broke this down. He said, he, he said that when Christ comes into like a house, how many know there's different rooms in your house? The different kind of rooms, right? Well, the first room they went into was, he called it the library. The first room was the library or the study. Let's call it the study of the mind. Right? Now, in my home, this room of the mind is a very small room with very thick walls (laughs) There's a lot to say about that, isn't there? (laughs) But it is an important room. In a sense, it is the control room of the house. Huh? You know, when Jesus comes into your heart, he just doesn't want to stay down inside in, in there. He wants to get in every room. So he wants to get in your mind, doesn't he? He wants to get in your mind. He wants to get in. Jesus wants to get in the control room. (laughs) Hallelujah. He entered with me into the library or study, and he looked around at all the books on the bookcase, the magazines on the table, the pictures on the wall, as I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. Hmm. Strangely enough, I had not felt badly about this before this. I, that's why I love when Jesus shows up. His, his, Jesus doesn't mind meddling with you. People are so ouchy and sensitive today in church. You, preachers have become afraid to, to preach anything where, where it meddles with people, I say don't don't ever go to a church that won't meddle with you. What's meddling mean? Mean get in your business, man. Talk about things that that, that might convict you, huh? He said. Strangely enough, before that, I hadn't I hadn't felt uncomfortable about these things, but now I was embarrassed. There were some books that were there that his eyes were too pure to behold. In other words, he had some bad books in that library, didn't he? There was a lot of trash and literature on the table that a Christian had no business reading. Hmm. And as for the pictures on the wall, which are the imaginations and thoughts of your mind, These were shameful, he said. I turned to him and said, Master, I know that this room, the study, the mind, needs a radical alteration. How many people's minds could use a radical alteration? Hmm? Will you help me make this room what it ought to be? to bring every thought into captivity to you. Jesus said, Surely I will. Gladly I will help you. First of all, take all the things that you are reading and looking at which are not helpful or pure or good or true and throw them out. You know, we need to go into our... Let Jesus into our, our minds and let Jesus look around and, and what he doesn't like, man, and, and you already are convicted by it, man, you got to get rid of it. You got to, de- this, we don't t- talk about stuff like this anymore, but, but in the early church, man, they talk about, they talk about what you watch on television. You need to, you know, the television, the greatest thing about a television is it's got an off button. On it. Amen. Amen. Huh? Turn it off. You don't have to watch it. Right. I've known people, when they got saved, they took their television and opened the, the downstairs window and threw their TV out in the yard. I say, well, I wouldn't destroy it because there's some good stuff on the TV. Just turn it off. Right. Huh? He said, Fill your library with scriptures and meditate on them day and night. As for the pictures on the wall, he said, You will have difficulty controlling these images. But here, here is an aid. And he put a ha he put a full-size portrait of himself. And he said to, to, the, to the man, He said, hang this centrally, right in the center of the room of your mind, and on the wall of your mind. I did, and I discovered through the years that when my thoughts are so centered on Christ himself, his purity and his power cause impure thoughts to back away. So he has helped me to bring my thoughts into captivity, amen. So that's the library. But that's not the only room in your house. The next room he said I want to go into is the dining room. From the study, we went into the dining room, the room of appetites and desires. Now this was a very large room. You got it? This is a large room. What? because it's large, because we got a lot of appetites and desires. The, the flesh has appetites. The flesh wants things. You, you're going to have to learn as a Christian if Jesus is going to live in your house and settle down in your house, man, you've got to control your appetites. you got to tell your flesh what it can and cannot do. That's why we have fasting and prayer. Amen. It was a large room. I spent a good deal of time in the dining room and much effort in satisfying my wants. I said to him, this is is a favorite room in this house. I am quite sure you will be pleased with what we serve. He seated himself at the table and asked what's on the menu. I said, well, my favorite dishes are going to be served money academic agrees stocks newspaper articles of fame and fortune as side dishes these were the things that i liked he said worldly fare i suppose there was nothing radically wrong in any particular item but it was not the food that should satisfy the life of a real Christian. You know, we, I, I don't care. I don't, we, we are not chasing money. We're chasing Christ. Huh? We, we, we're not chasing money. We're not chasing fame. We're not chasing accolades. We're not chasing anything that has to do with the flesh. We are chasing Jesus, man. We are, I'm telling you, I'm calling everybody today to be sold out, dedicated, red hot, true blue, on fire, blood bought, holy talking, letting Jesus in every room of your heart kind of Christians. Amen? Jesus answered and said, I have meat. See, this is what he should have been serving in that room. Jesus said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. I think that's John 6, 63, if if I'm not mistaken. I have meat to eat that you know not of, the will of God. Now, you know, a lot of folks, when they let Jesus come into their hearts when he comes into their house and begins to settle down, they, they act like the, doing the will of God is such a hard thing, like it's such a sacrifice. But you know, doing the will of God is the greatest pleasure of a believer's life. And if it isn't, then you need to, you, you need to check what you're serving in that room. Amen? Praise his holy name. Now, if Christ is in your heart, and I trust that he is, he writes, what kind of food are you serving him? What kind of food are you eating yourself? Are you living for the lust of the flesh and the pride of life selfishly? Or are you choosing God's will for your meat and your drink? Hallelujah. So that's the dining room. The next room we walked into was the living room. The living room was rather intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had a fireplace with overstuffed chairs, a sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. Now, you know when I, this is what I want you to remember. When The the week I got saved, this came into my hands. I have never been far away from this, from the reality of what this thing writes. Because this is so true and, and, and because I saw that, I, I learned that the meat in, in the dining room, the meat, the thing I should want in my whole life. I've had people try to tell me that I, that I'm you know I'm, a, I, I'm as excited and turned on for Jesus as I am because I'm called to be a pastor. I said, Ben, wait a minute, wait 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 wait. Wait, no, I'm called to be a Christian. Right. Come on. I'm, I'm a, I, I pray, God, the first thing you see in my life is not me being a pastor. I pray the first thing you see in my life is me. this man right here is a Christian. Yeah. This man right here, he, he wants to know Christ. This, this man here, I, I, I don't know if you can. I'm not saying you can, but this is what I'm striving for. I want everybody to see me and say, man, look how he talks. Look how he lives. Look how he treats his wife. Look how he treats his children. Look how he treats other people. Look how he treats the poor. Look how he treats. That's what I want. I want to happen in my life because I want to be a real Christian. Don't you? I mean, I want to be the real deal. I'm looking for a real deal church, not a church full of just a, a bunch of numbers of people. I'm looking for people that'll be be leaders in the ministry that are sold out, turned on. Man, they're letting Jesus in every room. Every room. He also, Jesus also seemed pleased with this room. He said, this is a delightful room. Let's come here often. Now listen to this. And we, we scheduled a secluded and quiet time when we would fellowship together. Hmm. Naturally, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything that I would rather have than a few minutes with Christ in intimate fellowship and companionship. See, now, now that Christ is coming into his heart and settling down, he can. And now they got a room where they're going to meet every day, spiritually. He promised, now listen to this. He, Jesus, promised, I will be here early every morning. Meet me here and we will start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs in the living room and He would take a book of the Bible from the bookcase, and He would open it, and we would read together. He would tell me of its riches and unfold to me its great truths. He would make my heart warm as He revealed His love and His grace toward me. These were wonderful hours together In fact, we called the living room the, quote, withdrawing room. It was a period where we we would withdraw from all else except our communion and our intimate fellowship together. Now wait. This is so happy so far. But little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities this began to be shortened. Why, I don't know. But I thought I was just too busy to spend time with Christ. This was not mentioned, you understand. It just happened that way. It wasn't intentional. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss a day now and then. And it was examination time at the university. He was a teacher, professor. And then it was some other urgent emergency. I would miss two days in a row and then more. That starts happening to us if we don't watch out. I remember one morning when I was in a hurry, rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. I passed by the living room. The door was open, and looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus was sitting there, suddenly in dismay. I thought to myself, he was my guest. I invited him into my heart. He has come as Lord of my home, and yet here I am neglecting him. I turned and went in. With a downcast glance, I said, Master, please forgive me. You have been here all these mornings. Yes, he said, I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Then I was even more ashamed. He had been faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I ask his forgiveness and he readily forgave me as he does when we're truly repentant. The trouble with you is this, he said. You have been thinking of the quiet time, of the Bible study, the prayer time, as a factor in your own spiritual progress. But you have forgotten that this hour means something to me also. That's what Jesus said. Jesus Jesus was missing this man's fellowship. It meant something to him. Remember that I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I value your fellowship. Now don't neglect to this hour if only for my sake, his, Jesus said. Whatever else may be your desire, remember this, I want your fellowship. Hmm. You know, the truth that Christ desires my companionship and loves me and wants me to be with him, wants me to be with him, waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone In the living room of your heart, but every day make time with your Bible and in prayer so that you can be together with Him. Say amen or oh me. Real quick, a couple more rooms. Before long, He asked, Do you have a work room in this house? Down in the basement of the home of my heart, I had a workbench and some equipment, but I was not doing much with it. Once in a while, I'd play around with a few gadgets, but I wasn't producing anything substantial or worthwhile. Hmm. I led him down the stairs. He looked over at the workbench with what little talents and skills I had and said, this is quite well furnished. What are you producing with your life for the kingdom of God? What are you doing in your workroom of your life? He looked at one of the two little toys that I had thrown together on the bench and held one up. Are these little toys all that you you are doing for others in your Christian life? Is that what you're building? In other words, that's what Jesus is asking him. This all you're producing is little frivolous things like a little toy? Hmm? Well, I said, Lord, it's the best I can do. <laughs> I don't know if he's writing this about him or me. <laughs> Lord, it's the best I can do. I know it isn't much. And I really want to do more. But after all, I have no skill or strength to do more. He said, would you like to do better? Certainly. All right. Jesus said, let me have your hands. Now, relax in me and let my spirit work through you. I know that you are an unskilled, clumsy, and awkward Worker, But the Holy Spirit is the master worker. And if He controls your hands and your heart, He will work through you. And so stepping around behind me, putting His great strong hands over mine, and controlling the tools with His skilled fingers, He began to work through me. My, 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 my. May we all put our hands out and let God wrap His big hands around our hands and let us work in His spiritual workroom and build something glorious to help the broken, the lost, and the dying. Praise His holy name. My, my, my. Do not be discouraged because you can't do much for God. Your ability is not the fundamental condition. It is he who is controlling your fingers and upon whom you are relying. Give your talents and gifts to God and he will do things that will surprise you. Next room, real quick. The rec room. Hmm. I remember the time he asked me about the rec room or the play room. I was hoping he wouldn't ask about that. There were certain associations and friendships and activities and amusements that I wanted to keep for myself. I did not think Christ would enjoy them or approve of them, so I evaded the question. Isn't it amazing that, the, that this man, he, what he's saying is that he already knew that that wasn't right. Huh? He already knew it. How many know when you get saved, man, if Christ is in your home and in your heart, you know when you look at something that you're not supposed to be looking at. Huh? You know when you're thinking something you don't have any business thinking that. You know in your mind when you have thoughts and images and imaginations that, that, that aren't right. You already know. There were, but, but, <laughs> there came an evening when I was on my way out with some friends and as I was about to cross the threshold, he stopped me with a glance and said, are you going out? He replied, "Yes. "Good," he said. "I want to go with you." "Hmm I'm going to let that conviction settle right there. He, what do you want to do? He wanted to go with him." "Oh, I answered rather awkwardly. "I don't think, Lord Jesus, that you really do want to go with us." Let's go out tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we will go to prayer meeting. But tonight I have another appointment. He said, that's all right. Only I thought, when I came into your home, we were getting to do everything together. To be close companions, I just want you to know, that I am willing to go with you. Well, I said, we will go somewhere tomorrow night. That evening, I spent some miserable hours. (laughs) I felt wretched. What kind of friend was I to Jesus when he asked me deliberately, uh, uh, when he knew that I was deliberately leaving him out of my associations Doing things and going places that I know very well that he would not enjoy. When I returned that evening, there was a light in his room. And I went up to talk with him. And I said, Lord, I've learned my lesson. I can't have a good time anymore without you. God help us learn that lesson. And from now on we will do everything together. Then we went down into the playroom and he transformed it, etc. This now there was one more room. I talked about this last week, the hall closet One day I found him waiting for me at the door. An arresting look was in his eye. As I entered, he said to me, there is a particular odor in the house. There is something dead around here. You know, when things die, they begin to decay and rot, putrefy. There's a stench that comes with that. He said, there's something dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in that little hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew, I knew what he was talking about. There he goes again. He knows. Is there anything dead in your house? There are there any dead spiritual things in your life? Yes, there was a small closet up there on the landing, only a few feet square. And in that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I didn't want anyone to know about especially Christ. Hmm. I knew they were dead and rotting, left over from my old life. Hmm. And yet I loved them and I wanted them for myself and I was afraid to admit that they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with him. And as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed at the door and said, it's in there. It's some dead thing. I was, the, the man said, I was angry. That's the only, that's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the playroom, and now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I am not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, If you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this odor, you are sadly mistaken. I will take my bed outside on the back porch. It's certainly not going... I'm certainly not going to put up with this. And then I saw him start down the stairs. When you have come to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense his fellowship retreating from you. Hmm. I had to surrender. Finally, I yelled, I'll give you the key. I said, sadly, but you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. He said, I know. I know you haven't. I know you haven't. Just give me the key and authorize me to take care of this closet and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it from my hand, walked over to the door, opened it, entered it, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there and threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet and painted it and fixed it up doing it it all in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. Then a thought came to me, the man said. I have been trying to keep my heart clear for Christ. I start in one room and, and no sooner have I cleaned out that room, it's dirty. I begin on the second room, and the first room gets dusty again. I am so tired and weary, trying to maintain a clean heart and an obedient life, I am just not up to it. So I ventured a question. Lord, is there any chance... That you would take over the responsibility of the whole house and operate it for me and with me just as you had did in that closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my heart what it ought to be and my life what it ought to be? I could see his face light up as he replied. Certainly, that's what I came to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. That is impossible. Let me do it through you and for you. That, That is the way. But, he added slowly, I am not the owner of the house. Remember, I'm just a guest. I have not authority to proceed since the property is not mine. I saw it in a minute and dropping to my knees I said Lord you have been a guest and I have been your host but from now on I'm going to be the servant and you are going to be the owner and master and Lord running as fast as I could to the strong box I took out the I took out the title deed to the house describing, that described its assets, its liabilities, its location, its situation and condition. And I eagerly signed it over to belong to Him alone for time and for all of eternity. Here I said, here it is, all that I am and have forever. Now, you run this whole house. I'll just remain with you as, my, as your servant and friend. He took my life that day. He took my life. I don't do this because I'm a preacher. I do this Because I transferred the title deed of my heart. That day in July was, I talk about the good side of it. It was such a difficult time in my life. I was dying. I was struggling. I was lonely. I was most miserable. I was under a load of guilt and shame that haunted me. And I never saw a way out. That day I gave him my life. And I signed it over to him. That's That's what Jesus expects. That's what he came for. Not because he wants to barge in and just run everything. He wants to help you and me. He took my life that day. And I can give you my word. There is no better way to live the Christian life. He knows how to keep it in shape and to keep deep peace and make it settle down in your soul. And he closes with this. May Christ settle down and be at home in your heart as the Lord of all. Somebody say amen. 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 Let's all stand up. Come on, guys. My, 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 my. I know that was a little lengthy, but it's the truth. Jesus wants to come into your house. Your life. He wants in every room. Every room. He wants in your mind. He wants in the in the basement. He wants in that hall closet. He wants in the rec room. He wants in the playroom, the living room, and the dining room. He wants it all. And today, if you will if you haven't done this, maybe you've been a believer, maybe you haven't done this, but have you, have you signed over the title deed? Maybe that's what you're lacking. Have you signed over the title deed of your heart in your life? That is the will of God. And if you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a second, If you haven't signed over the title deed of your life, everything that's got to do with you, your money, your mind, your heart, your tongue, your words, your life, your future, every room of your heart. If you haven't done that, do it right now and sign it all over to Him and let Him once and for all take control of your house, your life for the glory of Almighty God. And everybody said amen. Let's put our hands toward heaven.
0: We trust you enjoyed this message. For more information about Pastor Jim Crabb and Amago Day, please visit our website at imagodeicincy.com. I-M-A-G-O-D-E-I-C-I-N-C-Y dot com. We trust you enjoyed this message. For more information about Pastor Jim Crab and Amago Day, please visit our website at ImagoDaysensi.com. I M A G O D E I C I N C Y dot com.